0: I'm gonna ask you a question. I have no statistics for this. If this is true or not, you might tell me. But do you think prayer goes up at Christmas time? You think, like, the, the quantity, amount of people praying, do you think it's up? Like, who thinks that prayer goes up at Christmas time? Anybody? Who thinks, like, no, not really? Be honest. Well, a few people, skeptics, just joking. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I have no idea, really. You can Google it, see if there's a stat for it. But I'm just curious about that. But here's another question that I think comes to mind is, what are you praying for at Christmas? Or what are people praying for at Christmas? When you think about that, what are people praying for during this time of the year? We've been walking through a prayer the last five or six weeks together. And um, if we only see prayer as a request or as an expectation for God to do something, then likely our idea of prayer, even at Christmas, is about what we want, or what we hope to receive, or what we would like more of in our lives. And sometimes, I mean, any, some, you know, I love the idea that, that almost any, any request or desire can be a heartfelt prayer. Um, but sometimes we can just leave it to those kinds of things. And the last few weeks we've been reflecting on the idea of prayer as being much bigger, Than a request, much more robust than just an expectation. We've been digging deep into this way that Jesus has taught us to pray through the Lord's Prayer. And, uh, you know, when I think about that, really what's happening as we pray the Lord's Prayer is how can we reflect God's life in us, God's life for us. It's more than just words on a piece of paper that we read. It's something that Jesus taught us. But here's how we started this series. We started saying that the Lord's Prayer can be really revolutionary, and if we believe in what we're praying for in the Lord's Prayer, we could very well unleash a revolution. Do you believe that? That if, if you and I really believed and really leaned into and allowed God's Holy Spirit to work in us as we pray this prayer, we very well can unleash a revolution. And, and when we think about that, I think about Christmas, because Christmas, a revolution started at Jesus' birth. God interrupted history and interrupted our story and the human story with Christ's birth. And you know, there's a lot of parts of our society who will, um, you know, dampen faith or religion. But there's still pockets of our society and um, that that talk about how, or if they if they'd really admit it, they would say that there's some robust ideas of love and justice and peace and hospitality. And grace and truth and forgiveness that are rooted in the person of Jesus. That as people look back, they say, How, like, why do we feel the ache for this? Why do we uh, feel this way about injustice? And often, when they grapple with where did this come from, often we can root it into the life and teachings and purpose of Jesus. And Christmas started that. His birth started that revolution, whether people realize it or not. One author, he's a Canadian, his name is Daryl Johnson. He says this about the Lord's Prayer. He says, the Lord's Prayer is the most effective way to participate in the great revolution that started at Jesus's birth. I love that. That the Lord's Prayer, what we've been praying for the last few weeks, is one of the most effective ways to participate in the great revolution that started at Jesus's birth. Now, we said that as we started getting into this prayer, we saw the overlaps between the Lord's prayer and Advent themes, and and just the hunger for God's kingdom in our lives and in our world. Now, so this is what I want to do today, how I want to end our series and also step into this week of Christmas, is I want to turn the Lord's prayer into a Christmas prayer. I want to turn the Lord's prayer into a prayer that is themed with Christmas and the Lord's prayer kind of fused together. So you guys ready? You want to give it a try? It's, it's, it's my last Sunday message of the year. If I totally flop, it's okay. I could just press reset for next, uh, for next year. But, but I'm willing to give it a try and give it a shot and, uh, and um, you know, do a little bit of trial and error this morning. And I'm going to start with the most culturally unchristian metaphor that has been part of our culture for many years, made popular by Coca-Cola's advertisements. You know, you know what I'm talking about? Who? Santa Claus, exactly. So you can, yeah, so, so this is the, the picture that, that, that Coca-Cola commissioned, I think in the '30s. Um, taking this figure, this person, and they, they gave him the red suit and, uh, and kind of like made him look like that. And it became very popular. It was Coke's way of advertising to the world. If you go to the next slide, I think I have one that where they're actually advertising, uh, you know, just a way to drink Coca-Cola back in the 30s. And they used Santa Claus to do that. Now, I said I'm going to use one of the most culturally unchristian metaphors made popular, because think about this. Who has ever sat on Santa's knee? Anybody ever sat on Santa's knee? few people. Anybody get their kids to sit on Santa's knee? You can admit it. We won't, we won't judge you. I won't judge you. We'll label you on the way out, but we won't. <laughs> We're going to put one of those stickers on the back of your, on your back as you head out. Um, no, but, th- but think about it for a second. And uh, there's something that takes place when a kid sits on Santa's lap. I, I-, I think if we, if we just like, take away this idea that obviously this is not a biblical truth, It's not a Christian idea, but I can't help to wish that many of us would approach God in a way that these kids approach Santa Claus. Just think about it for a second, okay? Don't call me a heretic yet. They they, they sit on his lap. They feel safety in his presence. There's a non-anxious attentiveness to to the child who's there. There's open ears for that child's heart's desire, whatever's going on in that child's heart. And there's a freedom for that child just to share whatever that child wants to share. Sure, it can come in the form of, I want Legos, but it can come in other forms as well. And when we think of how Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer in teaching us to call God Father in heaven, as close as a breath away, that's how we started with a few weeks ago, the ever-present, closer than a breath, fully holy, yet loving, heavenly Father, And the first truth about Christmas, the first truth about the birth narrative of Jesus is that God is close, is that God is present. John tells us that God became flesh and blood and moved into our world. And if there's one overarching kickoff theme to Christmas, it's a God who came close to us in Jesus And gave us the opportunity for us in greater ways to get close to him. That's the foundation of the Lord's Prayer. And there's such a beautiful overlap with the birth narrative of Jesus. But there's more. Because if we pray the Lord's Prayer and we turn the Lord's Prayer into a Christmas prayer, I think we're going to pray for different things than we might normally pray at Christmas. I think we might pray for different things or hope for different things than our culture influences to. And the first one is, is, is one that's probably very different than our culture, but Christmas tells us that this God who came close is a God to be worshipped, is a God to be paid attention to. One of the first lines in the Lord's Prayer, your name be made holy. Your name be made Holy. Worship is a theme in the birth story of Jesus. Just think about some of, the, some of the scenes, some of the moments as the gospel writers tell us what happens. Three wise men come traveling from far bringing gifts to honor this baby, this king. Angels set up you know, an event in the skies honoring Jesus with music and song. An older Jewish man, after Jesus is born, is brought to the temple and this older man named Simeon gets to hold this baby and it's like this older man's bucket list. One of his bucket list items gets ticked off. I am seeing the Messiah and he bursts out into worship. He bursts out into response to who God is and what God is doing and what God wants to do as he's holding Jesus as a baby in his hands. And so if we're praying at Christmas, influenced by the Lord's Prayer, we will grow into people who worship Jesus. That's one of the outcomes of this prayer. That's one of the outcomes of taking this prayer and making it a Christmas prayer. We will become people who grow into people who worship Jesus. That's one of the things that comes when we pray this prayer during Christmas. But there's something else, because worship is more than just honoring God. It's about, it's about our lives and what, what our lives look like in reference to God's kingdom. And so one of the prayers in the Lord's Prayer is, one of the petitions is, your kingdom come, your will be done. And that talks more about allegiance than it does about worship. It is about worship, but it also is about allegiance, who we align ourselves with. Just think about this. Jesus brought God, God's kingdom near when he came into our world. And when he did that, he disturbed other allegiances. He disturbed the other things that we as humans are aligned to or follow. Think about it. The people that were aligned to the Roman Empire in the first century. The people that were aligned to King Herod and his plans. The people that were aligned with other religious ideas at the time. The people that were aligned with other worldly powers. And think about Herod's story. When Herod gets wind that this king is going to be born, he concocts this scheme To try and get this baby because he's threatened by this baby. He's threatened by this baby that will be born in a manger because it threatens the people who were aligned to him and his plans and his purposes and his relationship with Rome. And so Herod gets nervous and is threatened by Jesus because Jesus brought God's kingdom near. And when he brought God's kingdom near, other kingdoms start feeling threatened. Other kingdoms start realizing, oh, there's a bigger allegiance that people are being called to than my earthly allegiance. And so if we're praying at Christmas and the Lord's Prayer shapes our prayer, we will not only become people who worship, we will become people who are shaped by our allegiance to God and to God's kingdom. What does that look like? Okay, we we know this popular Christmas song. I'm going to ask you to, to like end this line with me. Are you ready? All right? Nick was pretty loud the first time. I want to see if there's other people. I don't know if Nick loves to sing, so I don't want to put him on the spot. But you guys get ready. You're going to finish this line for me, right? I'll try it. Let every heart... It's pretty good. We should go do some caroling at Fairview right now, I think. That's what we should do. One more time. Nice and loud, right? Let every heart... No, no, no. You, rip, you, do, you finish the line, okay? I want you to get the last line. Let every heart... Amazing! That was so good. We, no, we should definitely do caroling next year. <laughs> Think about that line. Think of the significance of that line and that carol, Joy to the World. Let every heart prepare him room. The significance of that line, our heart and our minds is the seat of our emotions and our will. And our heart directs our life and our decisions and our ambitions and our goals and our purpose. And this line helps us understand that when Jesus came into this world, and if we really welcome him into our lives, we prepare room, we make room for him because he now holds our allegiance. He's our king. If you pray this prayer at Christmas, you realize that the birth of God's son can interrupt your life and interrupt my life and and adjust my ambitions We'll come to realize his vision for our lives and not just our own. Well, imagine, what would 2020 be like? What can 2020 be like if you made room for the lordship of Jesus? If you made room to live out that part of the lord's prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done. If you made room for this king who was born in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, who stirred up and shocked and threatened other allegiances, because he'll do it in my heart too. And he'll do it in your heart too. Prepare him room. Um, if you watch any or have any connection to any news cycles uh, this week, what's the, what's the biggest word in news cycles this week? Impeachment, exactly. I'm not gonna talk about, I'm not gonna talk about the, the current impeachment. But 45 years ago, there was another impeachment going on and it was uh, Richard Nixon's. Now, Richard Nixon resigned before he could ever get impeached. But 45 years ago, as he was heading towards that, and it was about a year long process where all this took place, one of his side uh, side men, sidekicks—they uh, called them sometimes a henchman. People that that worked with him and, and corrupted with him—they uh, got they got the fallout of this. And one of the people that would that would get the fallout of this, his name was Charles Colson. And Chuck Colson, many of you might know his name. He passed away a few years ago, so you might not catch him, depending on how old you are. But Chuck Colson worked with Richard Nixon. Chuck Colson went down when this all went down. He really went down because Chuck Colson went to prison. Now something happened to chuck colson in prison that was extraordinary he became a follower of jesus christ yeah he yes amen he didn't just go to prison chapel he became a follower of jesus christ he his life was transformed when his allegiances were stirred up and if you knew colson before and you can put his picture on the screen if you have it i love that kind of old 70s picture um if you knew about his life before and you knew his life afterwards, you would notice that his allegiance changed. That, the, that who he followed and the life that he would live and who would influence him changed. Jesus became his Lord. Jesus became his leader. He wrote several books, and you can read some of them if you'd like to even describe the story. But one book that he wrote later on, Several years later, I love the title of it. It's called How Now Shall We Live. He picked it, he, he kind of like took it off a title that was written before called How Then Shall We Live, but he wrote it for his time How, how Now Shall We Live. And that's, that's a great question because that's a question that says, If my allegiance is to Christ the King, how will I live? How will I live my life? How will I interact in this world? And that's an amazing question. When your allegiance changes, you start asking questions like that. When you make room for Jesus and the lordship of Jesus in your life, you start asking questions like that, and our worship turns to allegiance. And we start to surrender to him. That's so vital. When we pray this prayer and it becomes a Christmas prayer, it becomes worship. We become people of worship and people of allegiance. But I want you to think about the short petition in the middle where we pray for our daily bread. We talked about it a few weeks ago and we just talked about how we can lean into God's abundance and provision and how vital that is, but how at the same time when we pray, give us today our daily bread, it's not about me, it's about us. And we often will become the answer to somebody else's prayer, right? But think about what are the effects of that? What are the effects of praying To a God who's abundant, who's a provider, and a God who, when we pray this prayer, also prompts us to be the givers to those who are in need. One of the big effects of that is we grow in something that our culture desperately needs, and I'm going to tell you I desperately need it. It's contentment. That when I pray that part of the prayer and when I, when I link that up to God's abundance and his provision and the idea that I'm not just praying for me, I'm praying for other people, the effects that that has on me is this idea of contentment. Because at Christmas time especially, when the world is just a blur from Black Friday to Boxing Day, it's so hard to live content. It's so hard to live content. Why I need this prayer at Christmas is not because of the Jesus story, because the Jesus story leads me in a better way. It's because of the predominant cultural story that's just all around me, all the time, all around me, all the time. We had a youth Christmas party the other night, and uh, someone who was there had a really old iPod, and I thought that was that was like that was a little a sign of contentment. <laughs> it was because it's like it still worked, and they were using it, and it was it was fine, you know. And um, we live in a consumeristic machine that constantly fuels our desires and our needs for more and more and more. It's crazy. Every uh, 12 or 18 months, I read a book on money. It's just kind of something that helps me kind of keep understanding, you know, just principles of saving and spending and things like that. And they're often Christian books, and sometimes they're not. So I read a book just recently, this month. And uh, it was an interesting book, and, and the title kind of throws you off. You're like, Dave, why are you reading this book if you're a pastor? The book titled was, I Will Teach You How to Be Rich. So it's like, don't worry, I'm not like falling into some scheme or anything. But it, it's, it's just, you know what, it, what's interesting is, it's good, good financial wisdom, good stuff around spending and stuff. But here's the thing, they would, it would never sell if it said, I will teach you to become wise, It might never sell if it says, I will teach you how to become content. But it sells because I will teach you how to become rich. Now, if you read the content, you realize that it's actually not about becoming rich. It's just about doing well with your finances, knowing how to spend wisely and save wisely and all that kind of stuff. But the title, Rich, is the hook for people. Now, I read some of his blogs earlier, and I knew what he was going to talk about, so I picked up the book. But here's this this blew me away. It's over 300 pages. And only somewhere on page 323 for one paragraph in this whole book does he mention giving back. I was like, over 300 pages about money and there's one paragraph about giving back? That's like 0.03% of all the content in the book is on giving back. This book did not encourage contentment. It, it encouraged some good principles, but there was an underlying tone that I had to keep fighting against. That was really not contentment, and I realized it when he didn't say anything about giving or anything about generosity. Only towards the end, it's like, man, that's it was like a little afterthought. Like I better put this in because if I don't, you know, I might get, I might get critique. It's so hard for us to participate in God's revolution, His kingdom revolution, without contentment. It's really hard. It's hard to engage what God wants for our lives without contentment. It's hard. When we lack contentment, it prevents us from the forgiving nature of the gospel. When we lack contentment, it prevents us from the generous nature of the gospel. When we lack contentment, it prevents us from the hospitable nature of the gospel. When we lack contentment, it prevents us from the vulnerable nature and posture of the gospel. There's something about contentment that is part of the fuel of God's kingdom and the revolution he wants to do in our hearts and in our lives. And it just fathoms me that God's own son, the saving king of the world and human history, would be born in a humble vulnerable way. That God was content with a manger. That God was content that his son would be labeled as coming from Nazareth. That God was content that his son would be raised by a carpenter in the Middle East. God was content. If, yeah, some people laugh at that. Because it's crazy in our world. But when we lack contentment, we snuff out the fuel for God's kingdom. When we grow in it, something multiplies. So if we're praying at Christmas, according to the Lord's Prayer, we will grow in contentment. Here's the last piece, because this prayer ends, as we did last week, with this appeal for God to to lead us away from temptation, away from trials and testing, and deliver us from the evil one. But think of this as as a Christmas prayer, and think of it as a prayer that, I just want to hone in on one little idea in this. Because when we pray, Away from temptation to be led away from that. Ultimately, we're asking God for wisdom because it's not that God is always just gonna like mechanically turn me away, right? Like I was last week we were talking about how how temptation and the evil one often wants us to detour or distract us. And and so how do we walk that path? Well, it's not like God's just gonna like force me into a straitjacket to walk that path. He gives us wisdom and he works in our hearts and we make these decisions, and so. Part of this Christmas prayer, if we're honest with ourselves and we allow the Lord's Prayer to shape our Christmas prayer, it it is a prayer for wisdom. It's a prayer that would give us wisdom to live every day. Because see, worship and allegiance... And contentment are all vital, but it's every day, it's your battle every day, it's my battle every day, it's in the moment we wake up, it's our decisions at work, where we are called to live this life in God's kingdom, and we're called to make decisions, and we're called to decide, and we're called to discern, and we're called to say yes or no, or pull back, or give more, and it's all in these day-to-day things where we will require wisdom, and so when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're also saying, God, give me your wisdom. For that decision at 10.05 in the morning, for that decision at 2.10 in the afternoon, for that moment i got to figure out what I'm going to do in the evening with my friends or how I'm going to react to this or how I'm going to respond to my spouse or how are, you know, what, what I'm going to do with my kids when something goes, goes off or, or, or how I'm going to spend my paycheck this week and, and, and set it up for savings and giving and spending and all this kind of stuff. It will require wisdom. It's the particulars of our life. Because we can just pray this prayer, lead us not into temptation, and be like a blanket prayer. You know, God's got me covered. He's going to just clear the way for me. But it's in the particulars of your life, it's in your conversation, and it's in your relationships, and it's in your work, and it's in your finances, and it's in your singleness or your marriage, it's in how you spend your time, and it's in your entertainment to ask God to not lead you into temptation is yes, like we said last week, this idea, Lord, keep me in your kingdom way, but it's also a prayer for wisdom. It's a prayer for wisdom. Wisdom for you and me, I know I need this, to discern the exact moment you're in to reflect God's kingdom. Wisdom to be able to discern in that moment, how does this, live into your kingdom, come your will be done. How does this live into your name be made holy? How does this live into yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory? So if we're praying at Christmas, influenced by the Lord's Prayer, we're gonna grow in wisdom. We're gonna grow in wisdom. And I love how this prayer ends. And we, I know we, we, we went deep into it last week, but I'll just say it in, in one line today, right? The, the prayer ends, deliver us from the evil one. And can I, just, can I just, in an untheological way, replace evil one with this word that I know all of us face? Because some of you, like we said last week, we, we have a relationship, not a relationship, but we view and approach the evil one in different ways and sometimes healthy ways and unhealthy ways. You can listen to last week's podcast to figure that out. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna like replace the word evil one with distractions. Deliver us from distractions. Who's like, yes, I need that prayer. Yeah, see? Deliver us from distraction. This is so vital. And I'm going to ask you this question as we close today. What is distracting you from the life God longs for you? What's distracting you from the life God is calling you to live? If this prayer becomes a Christmas prayer, and, and as we pray this, we can become people of worship and allegiance to God, and contentment, and wisdom, you know what will stop us from becoming those people? Distractions. Distractions. Cultural distractions. Entertainment distractions. Thought distractions. People distractions. None of those things that are all bad. But often it's in the distractions where we lose our way. It's in the distractions where we don't walk the path that God calls us to, and yet we long to. I bet you no one here especially if you if you call yourself a follower of Christ none of you would say I don't want to become a worshipper I don't want to become content I don't want to align myself with God's will I don't want I don't want any wisdom in my life none of us would say that but but the distractions in our life pull us away from that so my prayer for us is deliver us from distractions so we're going to we're going to that's how we're going to close today last Sunday of the year and as a in a way leaning into christmas but also in preparation for whatever the lord has in store for you in 2020 and and the bigger the bigger idea here is god's kingdom right his kingdom values and how that is worked out in, in your life and in your relationships and in your singleness and marriage and finances and work and career and all that kind of stuff but can we can we i'm going i'm going to lead us to close in a prayer in a moment but before we pray i want you to just think about this what is distracting you from the life God is calling you to? Would you just take a moment in the quietness of this room just to ask that? Because the next five days are going to be distracting. Let's just, let's just chalk it up. But our whole life doesn't have to be distracting. And so let's ask, really ask the question, what is distracting you from the life God's calling you to? And in a moment, I want you to just, as you think about that, just, just surrender to the Lord. Can you do that with me? Can we do that together? Let's do that. So just in, just in this brief moment of silence, ask this question. And maybe if it's helpful for you, just like I'm doing, my, my palms are up as a way of saying, Lord, I'm, I'm open. I'm open to hearing from you. I want the reminder of your Holy Spirit to show me the distractions in my life that are taking me away from your will. So just take a moment and lean into that. Pray that. Us to get clear on our distractions. God, we're willing to feel uncomfortable even in this moment if you prompt and point out ways. Things that distract us from the life you're calling us to. So as, as you've, maybe you have one or two things in mind, just bring them to the Lord. Ask the Lord to deliver you from those distractions. Ask God to give you an empowerment from his Holy Spirit. Greater is Jesus in you than he that is in the world. Greater is Jesus in you than the distractions in our world. So just give that to him. Ask him. Invite his help in this. It's what he wants to do in us. Bless you, Jesus. Bless you, God. Yes, Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. I wrote out a prayer. I'd love to close with it today. And um, so it's a Christmas prayer based on the Lord's Prayer. And I'd love for us to just read it slowly together off the screen um, and see how this might encourage you. And we'll post it later on if you, if you feel that like it's helpful for you. Um, but let's just, let's just reflectively kind of practice it right now and pray it, okay? And You can say it with me. I'll, I'll go through it slowly. Our Father in heaven, we worship you. You came close to us in Jesus, your son, and remain close to us by your Holy Spirit. Jesus brought your kingdom near and showed us your will. We align our hearts and lives to you. Empower us to live content within your grace and provision. Forgive us when we aren't, because it's usually the root of our debts and sin. Give us the wisdom in every moment to bring every part of our life under the will of your kingdom. Deliver us from anything that distracts us from the life you long to give us. This Christmas, what we want most is to become people of worship, surrender, contentment, and wisdom. Our Heavenly Father, we ask you for your your guidance in this, your power We so long to become people who worship you, who truly give you what you're worth in our lives, people who are surrendered to your will, God, a people who grow in contentment when the world tries to make us believe that we can't be. And God, we long to be people of wisdom. So we pray this, God. We pray this prayer. We pray your kingdom prayer. We turn it into a Christmas prayer because we know that at the heart and core of your son coming was revolutionary for the world and for us, for human history, for eternity, and we so want to be participants in that. So we pray this prayer, God. God, at the end of this year, our last... um, gathering in 2019 on a Sunday at least. Lord, we, we are so grateful. We're so thankful. We declare Jesus is king over our lives and our city and our church community, God. And Lord, we want to move into 2020 um, worshiping Jesus as king. God, we pray, Lord, we're grateful for how you've led us and how you've led so many in our church community, God, to to follow you and love you and serve you and sacrifice, God, in your kingdom mission. And we just, we want to grow into people with growing allegiance to you, God. Surrender to your will. Oh, God, even as a church community, help us to be content with the mission you've given us, the location, the, the city, the place so we can serve you in this time of history. and Give us the wisdom to do so, God. Help us to trust you for the people, the resources, the guidance, and deliver us from all distractions. In your name we pray, amen.